Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies, back from vacation, being gone a couple weeks. We had a couple of great shows, if you haven't listened to them in the last few weeks, interviews with my friends Tim and Amy from Go With Less, talking about the nomadic life and everything. That was a great show, and PDX Deals guy also joined us, talking about reselling, gift card reselling, merchandise reselling, everything like that. So check out the last couple of shows. But Joe, it's good to have you back. Yeah, glad to be back. It was my little travel agent of the year celebration trip, so went all out. We can talk about it a little bit at the end, but it was a lot of rest and relaxation, the least amount of work I've done for 10 days straight in quite a long while. Um, and so, yeah, it was pretty good, Sean. I suggest it. Did they give you a sash to wear around, you know, travel agent of the year, so everybody knew who you were? No, it was a it was a self-prize. Okay, I didn't get anything for Travel Agent of the Year except for a piece of glass <laughs> and some recognition. So yeah, it's just, uh, you know, going all out after you've uh, won something. You know, it's my it was my trip to Disney World, except for instead of paid by Disney World, it was paid by myself. Which actually, there was a fun ESPN Daily podcast about like where I'm going to Disney World came from. So if you're a sports fan or a Disney fan or a both fan, I suggest you check that one out. It came out like the week after the Super Bowl. It's really interesting how it all came together. So one of those marketing things that has stood the test of time. You should have had some of those Disney t-shirts made up where you wore a t-shirt that said travel agent of the year. And then your whole family had one that said, I'm with the travel agent of the year. And then uh, everybody would have known you could have recruited people as you went around. But, uh, no, I'm when, just kidding. When you're done with Miles and Memories, Sean, I'm going to hire you as my publicist. That's a great idea. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you had a good trip. We'll talk about it a little bit more at the end of the of the show. I'm still stuck here at home. It's it's crazy. I'm supposed to be on the road traveling, but some personal stuff going on with family. So I have to kind of stay close to home. I may be in Japan in a few days. I may not be. So that's that's the latest with me. It's it's insane. But I feel like I keep saying I'm going to leave, and then I've been stuck at home all of February. So, but yeah, worst places to be stuck, I suppose. Definitely. So is Sean Reese still? You know, I've been gone for a couple of weeks. PDX. I edited the PDX interview, but that was over two weeks ago. So Sean Reese is he still running around Asia? Is he home? Like, what's going on with him? So as we record this, he's actually sitting in the airport in San Francisco. He flew. Singapore to San Francisco, like almost 15 hours in coach. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you could either say a nice. couple things. Either, That's good. Yes. He's got to learn. He's got to learn. Yeah, exactly. Pain builds character. You could say that I'm an evil person for not putting him in business class. But I mean, we, we left everything sort of open-ended for him. And, he, you know, the goal was to spend about a month there. He was there, I think, just a few days over a month and made his way from Bangkok all the way to Singapore Quite a few places in between, beaches, islands, all that fun stuff. But it's time for him to come home. So I booked him a United Award. I had been looking, you know, at the different options, and a United Saver Award came up about 40,000 miles for uh, Singapore to Las Vegas direct, you know, through San Francisco. So I, I think it's good. I mean, I've done the flight Los Angeles to Singapore, of course, in business class. It's a long flight. I can't imagine. Uh, the longest flight I've done is about 14 hours in coach, so I, I've certainly done it myself. But what, what's the longest flight? You've probably done Hong Kong in coach before, right? Yep. Uh, I think I've done Newark to Hong Kong in coach. Uh, I've done, you know, obviously many times. Back in the day, the flights didn't go as far, so we'd stop in Japan first. So it was like 12, 13 hours in coach to Japan, and then 
onto Hong Kong. So I've definitely done my share of butt-in-seat miles in coach. That reminds me, I, I think, I, I, I did I say this? I probably did say this, but uh, my dad left me in coach one year. Like when we were living in Hong Kong, I came back to the States for a summer camp and my dad left me in coach and he was in business class and the family in front of me felt like so bad for me that their dad had abandoned them. I was like 10 years old at the time. Uh, I think I did mention that, but yes. So done plenty of miles in coach. It was much easier. You know, the other thing is when you're traveling on off times, I don't know if Sean Reese got this, but there were times where we'd fly in coach, but you know, it was like poor man's business class because there were so many seats that you you could get like an entire row to yourselves or for our family, like four rows to ourselves at times. So that happened occasionally, which was always great. Yeah, especially when you're like young and shorter and you can lay across like an entire row and turn it into a bed. That's always nice. It didn't happen for him. In fact, the plane was pretty full when I booked it. I only booked it the day before he flew and there was only middle seats open. And uh, then, of course, premium seating and things like that. And this just tells you kind of where my mind is, you know, in the travel hacker mindset. So I just book him the flight. I don't select a seat. I tell him, you know, go to the airport and I'm sure you can talk your way into a window or an aisle seat. He actually prefers window seats. But on a 15 hour flight, I don't know. So anyway, I didn't assign him a seat. He goes and checks in that night and he smartly pays like 30 bucks to make sure he gets uh, the seat he wants of course he should have paid. I should have just done that. I didn't even think about it. I was so caught up in the like the travel hacker mindset of, yeah, you can get a, the seat at the airport. But for him, you know, 15 hours, I think it's probably worth 30 bucks to, to have the right seat and not gamble that you're going to get stuck in the middle seat. So smart move by him, dumb one by me, uh, by not even thinking of that. I didn't even look at the prices. You taught him how to fish, you know, you taught him, how, you know, we need the kids to become independent and he made his own decision. So, uh, that's pretty good. And did he complain about the flight? I, I, I mean, I do feel like when I can still, if I have to suffer through the economy flight, I think it, it's really more these days, the stress of like entertaining kids and whether you're in economy or business class or whatever business class, of course, makes it more comfortable. But, uh, regardless of what you are in that is more stress than your comfort level of how you're sitting or whatever, at least, at least for me right now, until the kids are older. I mean, they, when they're older, they complain, but you know, you can still deal with that. Yeah. I think it's a totally different thing when you're by yourself. And I also think that human beings are able to adapt and, you know, you get through it. I think the longest sort of transportation I've ever gone through is we did a bus ride back in 2007 from Chetamal, Mexico into Flores, Guatemala, and that goes through Belize, and it took a day and a half. And so we sat on this bus for a day and a half and slept on the bus. You know, it was an overnight and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, you can just do it, right? You're just in the moment. You work through it. Although he just texted me before we started recording. He's in San Francisco now, so that flight went well, took off on time in Singapore. Everything went well. And now, of course, in San Francisco, United delayed him two hours just now. So it's nothing worse than getting off like a 14-hour flight. You only have a 45-minute flight home, and then you're delayed sitting in the airport. So you're like 95% of the way home. But uh, that's the life of a traveler, I suppose. Yeah, that's brutal. We were pretty lucky without uh, getting delays on our trip to and from. You know, talking about flying in economy, um, I did want to update what is going on with my potential trip to Australia and New Zealand this summer. You know, it's like... I don't know, Sean. I mean, I guess you just said that you might go to Japan in a few days. So you plan things similarly. But right now I have two flights coming home from the South Pacific and zero flights going to the South Pacific. 
Uh, I don't know if you end up in that situation sometimes. Usually I'm willing to get the flight there and then figure out the flight back. But I guess you're yeah, planning ahead far enough ahead. <laughs> I've got it backwards. Yeah. Well, I was I was thinking to myself, like, I will stomach flying economy down there. <laughs> I sound so privileged right now. But yes, I, I'm, I'm willing to fly economy down there. If I have to, and like we talked about in a previous episode, I booked live flat from Boston to LAX, and then I was going to get from LAX to the South Pacific somehow. Anyway, I subscribe to Spencer Howard's award alert newsletter. He has a free version, but if you subscribe to the paid version, you get uh, the alerts. I don't, I don't know if it's a day early or because I don't subscribe to both, obviously, but I get it a little earlier. And he had sent an award alert about Sydney to Dallas on Qantas business class seats opening up. It was only four seats per flight. So talking about flying economy, I actually booked three using American Airlines miles uh, in business class. And then I booked two premium economy seats via Asia miles, uh, the Asia miles that I have stranded out there because of thinking American Express was going to shut me down. Um, And so that worked out well. So now I have a flight from Auckland to San Francisco or from Sydney to Dallas to get home from the South Pacific, but still need to find a flight there. And also Spencer, you know, a couple or maybe a week or two after I booked that, he somehow got a tip or I I can't remember who he had tips. So sorry for those of you who may have broken the news first, but um, Qantas like released extra award space on a bunch of other routes. It didn't end up working out for me, but he was like, they're going to release at 7 PM Eastern. And so I know a lot of people were trying to get those. So Shout out and plug, uh, not a sponsor or anything, but uh, you know, an old friend of ours in the travel hacking community, Spencer Howard's award newsletter. I find that most of the alerts that I get, and I, you're probably the same way, Sean, like I just ignore, but when it works, it works really well. And uh, I think if I can get one transoceanic flight per year in uh, business class through his alert service, you know, I, I feel like it pays for itself. Yeah, we both known Spencer a long time, and we're both subscribers. So, you know, this, like you said, this isn't uh, sponsored. Although I think we have referral links now under his new system, so maybe we'll put those in the description if people are interested. Uh, we'll put both of our referral links. But oh, you yeah, made me he a has liar. A great... Oh wait, I have one too. Yeah, I think he just added that for people. It's not a a special affiliate or anything. <laughs> Anybody who it's subscribes, one, it's one of the newsletters I didn't link. read. Yeah. But I mean, it also, he has the ability to get a text. So I get him as text messages and that's really nice. Cause then I can, it just, you just look at the title of it. Is it interesting to me? You know, what kind of space? And it seems like he's sending them out uh, quite often these days. So yeah, definitely recommend that. I've been using point.me again for all of my searches lately, which I found to be great. Although I do sometimes go to the airline sites directly if I want a little bit more flexibility with dates because uh, that's slow. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been good, and I, I do recommend Spencer's newsletter. And I'll have to try to get him on the show one of these uh, episodes to to do an interview because he's one of the best people in the entire hobby at finding space. He does a lot on Instagram at Straight to the Points. Highly recommended uh, follow there. So one last thing on my son's trip to kind of hit up. He was in Kuala Lumpur, and you know we talked about booking budget travel and how that's actually been really good. His flight out, I've been booking him cheap rooms in Bangkok. In Singapore, you know, hotels in Singapore are crazy, right? Uh, So I booked him into a hostel, thankfully still using Chase Ultimate Rewards points. Uh, The hostel in Singapore was more expensive than a lot of the hotels in Malaysia. But that continued to be pretty good. 
And uh, it's another, you know, reminder that if you're not looking for the fanciest of places, booking through some of these travel portals using points, especially with like the Sapphire Reserve getting one and a half cents each, now that pay yourself back has been devalued. I feel like that's a good deal. And he also stayed at the Alila, so I was able to book him into the Alila in Kuala Lumpur, which, you know, Alila is a luxury brand, really nice hotels. Guess what category the Alila in Kuala Lumpur is? Two. It's a category one, actually. And What? Yeah. I and- see, I, I was saying, I was like, in my head, it was like, uh, it's probably like a three, because, you know, like a three is pretty middle of the road in the States, but... Uh, and so I was like, okay, let me gamble and go for two. But one is for an Alila. Yeah, and the Grand Hyatt there is a Category 3, and it's closer to, to the Petronas Towers. So uh, maybe that's why this is more of a residential area. But it's a high-rise building. The rooms look beautiful. And I think I got him three of the four nights were 3,500 points. They were low tier per night. And so he went from, like, staying in these backpacker hostels into Kuala Lumpur where he was in style uh, – Staying at the Alila, like 34th, 35th floor, balcony overlooking the city. It's an amazing thing. And we just talked with Tim and Amy on the last show about Bali and how many, you know, budget Hyatts there are, Category 1 Hyatts that are just absolutely gorgeous there. So just a a reminder, you know, if you can get over the ocean, Joe, you can get a lot of good deals sometimes in these cheaper places with really nice hotels. So it was nice to do that. He also went, and you maybe be interested in this, Joe, up to Genting Highlands. Genting Highlands is the sort of Las Vegas of Malaysia. It's owned by the Genting Company, who people now probably know them for all their resorts worlds, you know, Resorts World uh, in Santosa, where there's uh, Universal Studios in Singapore. Of course, Resorts World in Las Vegas. There's the one in New York, uh, Bahamas. They're all over the place now, right? And Genting, their first major resort destination was Genting Highlands, up about an hour from Kuala Lumpur. And it has casinos. It has amusement parks. It's like this giant integrated resort, multiple hotels, everything like that. We went there originally in 2008 and they had the oldest amusement park in all of Malaysia, but they tore that down a few years ago. And I'm sure you've heard of this park. It was supposed to be the Fox Studios Park. And then when Disney bought Fox, they came in and they sort of helped, they forced Genting to gut the park a little bit. It's called Genting Sky Worlds now. Oh, I totally forgot about that, but yes, yeah. Yeah, so he got to go there, and it's in previews now. It finally opened, although not all the rides are open, but he got to go there. And he also stayed in the First World Hotel, which which is the largest hotel in the world uh, by rooms. And we stayed there in 2008 as well. I nicknamed it the Third World Hotel because it's just not a very nice place. Uh, think about the second biggest hotel in the world is the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, and you have normal rooms and you know, they're pretty nice, everything like that. Well, at the First World Hotel, in order to squeeze 7,000 plus rooms, they're all basically the size of a closet. And they have rooms that face like this interior concrete looking thing. It's it's really not the greatest thing. He Hopefully he's going to write about it for the site. I mean, he took pictures and stuff because uh, it's a fun thing. Largest hotel in the world. But if anybody's ever in Kuala Lumpur, Genting Highlands is definitely a cultural experience. It's where all the Malaysians go to gamble. It's their big vacation destination. And now they have a state-of-the-art theme park there as well. And they have some nicer hotels, too, if you don't want to stay in the first world. I, I mean, that's cool. It's it's crazy how just these properties change hands. And then sometimes it's, like, wildly different because of it. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't change at all. But, um, yeah, it's Good to I'm, – I'm glad you're always on top of this uh, resource world stuff, Sean, you know, because I can't always stay on top of it. 
I remember when we were traveling and I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, when you're backpacking on the road, you're kind of discovering places right before you go to them. That's when you start researching stuff. And then just to find it was the largest hotel in the world. And most of the largest hotels in the world are in uh, are in Las Vegas. So, you know, it's nice to, to stay there. But it's crazy to see all the changes that have happened at Resorts World and Getting Highlands in the last uh, in the last few years. So. Yeah, it's it's fun. I've been living vicariously through my son since I've been stuck at home. So I guess that's uh, I guess that's just part of getting old. So you put him to work when he comes back, or has he got his own stuff going on? Uh, we'll see. I mean, he's hopefully he'll write that post about the uh, Genting Highlands and some other stuff that he's done. But uh, I think he's gonna you know go back to his life and you know go back on his way. But hopefully he's been inspired. I know he's had a great time. It's been great revisiting a lot of the places that he went as a kid. And getting to experience that by himself and all of the sights, smells, tastes, all that good stuff. And uh, I guess one last takeaway, I'll make this quick, is booking activities for him through the Chase Ultimate Rewards Portal. I had sworn that I would never book activities through the Chase Ultimate Rewards Portal again after I had so many issues. And then I forgot about that. So I booked him a few tours along the way, things like that. We had cancellations. Uh, I got him the Genting Skyworlds theme park ticket. They never sent the actual ticket itself, some other problems. So I still don't recommend using Chase Ultimate Rewards Travel for, for that stuff. We did ultimately solve everything. If you're in Southeast Asia, WhatsApp is really where it's at. So if you get a phone number for a provider, don't try to call them. Just add them on WhatsApp. That was the suggestion I gave my son. That's how we were able to solve everything. Basically, every business, everybody has WhatsApp. And you can just usually add them and chat with them and and get everything that you need solved. But yeah, I, I still don't recommend using Chase for for activities because it seems like I'm uh, batting like fifty percent where there's issues with the voucher or the ticket or everything. Especially because like a lot of those activities, they're not even that expensive. So yeah, you can get one point five cents per point if you got the reserve. But you know, at, at like at some point, it's just not uh, it's not worth the. Uh, stress or not thinking it's not going to come through. It's just easier to buy from directly from like their website or whatever. Yeah. I think what happens is Chase uses what connections travel uh, to book it and, you know, they're using third-party travel agencies. And so I think what happens is the whole system books everything and then the manual tickets that need to get sent for those providers never get sent. They get sent to connections and then they never get sent to the customer. So there was times where we're waiting for QR codes for tours or for entry and, you know, it never it never happens. So, uh, yeah, just uh, not recommended there. Their customer service isn't the greatest. It take a while to get a hold of them. And to your point, Joe, it's probably better just to pay cash and find a way to re- reimburse yourself another way or use a credit card that's like a travel eraser card, something uh, like that, than to deal with the, the, <laughs> the pain. It's a mistake I make every couple of years. I keep forgetting about it. I go back and then I'm like, oh, yeah. It's And now I got to go fight for points because for a canceled tour, for other stuff. So, yeah, what did I really save? Not much. Plus, it's only for one person. You know, when it's for your family, maybe it's like times three, times four, times five. It adds up, but, you know, just for your son. But lesson learned, I'm sure in two years, we'll have forgotten and one of us will have done the same thing again. All right. Speaking of lessons learned, Benji on the site this week updated us with what's the business platinum worth. And I like the way Benji looks at this stuff because... This isn't, uh, you know, I'm going to try to fluff my way up to the biggest valuation possible to justify why you should have the card. He actually looks at everything very critically 
And uh, his valuation of what it's worth to him is probably different than a lot of people, probably less, I would say, than other people as they find different value in the benefits. But let's go through what he says, and then we can kind of talk about ourselves, starting with the wireless credit. And I've talked on here before, this is something that I don't maximize as much as I should. And, you know, Benji gives me a hard time for it. He's using Mint Mobile, and there is a article on the site about how basically he's getting his wireless service for free using multiple wireless credits for multiple business platinum cards. But 10 bucks a month, I feel like most people should be able to use this. Most people don't have a ton of business platinum cards like Benji does. So if you just have one, it's easy enough to to go make a payment. Although, you know, you may be giving up some benefits that other cards have for insurance or other stuff like that, bonus points. So maybe it's just, what do you do? Like a $10 payment every month and then pay the rest with another card? That's what I should do. Sean, but uh, in the February 28th. <laughs> so maybe I should do that right now. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's three $10 payments. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I have another card on auto pay. In fact, I think it's one of my inks because it's like 5X or whatever. But yeah, the number of months I forget, like he valued this at $120 because he uses it all 12 months. Uh, I just, it's like, realistically, I, I forget so much. And I think if I only had one, I would I wouldn't forget. But it's like when you have three, and then it's just, it's like a lot of clicking. You you think that a few clicks are going to be pretty fast, but T-Mobile's website for me is terrible. It's like JetBlue. Actually, JetBlue has been improving the website lately, but it's like JetBlue Disney levels of terrible. Citibank level, levels of terrible when I try to use it, and so I think that like made me get really lazy. But uh, always um, thankful when Benji makes me feel bad about not maximizing things. I know he's not doing it on purpose, but <laughs> I do diamond shows with him several guilt. times a month, and I'm always getting shamed for for my uh, lack of uh, being on top of stuff. So uh, it, it's I'm glad to I'm glad to make you feel a little bit terrible alongside me. So the next is the Dell credit, which is two hundred dollars every six months, so four hundred dollars a year. Now he values that at a hundred and fifty dollars, so uh, that's for the entire annual benefit. I think that's a little low, although the amount of conversations I've had with people recently talking about how they're bending over backwards to spend these credits, you know, for years, I just bought Xbox gift cards and I resold them and I was able to capture back, you know, about 85, 90%, sometimes even more because you can use Rakuten when there's a big portal payout and earn American Express membership rewards points and do really well. Uh, But lately, all my gift card orders are canceled. So I've too have had to like bend over backwards. I bought a new router. I bought a new uh, watch, smartwatch. Do I really need this stuff? Am I really getting the value out of that? I used to value this higher because I could actually turn it into cash. Now it's been a little bit harder. You can do stuff for buyers groups. You can do products to resell. I don't know. I, I think 150 out of 400, that's probably fair, maybe a little low, but it's definitely not worth face value. Yeah, I think I do like his concept of like, even though it's theoretically $400, he's not going to rate it at the full 400 because you might be buying stuff you don't need. And then plus the breakage and how difficult it is to use. I do manage to use the $400 per year. It's like whenever I see a message that like Xbox gift cards are working, um, you know, I still have a Game Pass subscription because I decided that paying $15 a month for video games that I don't play is better than buying eight physical copies of video games that I don't play per year. You know, it just works out better that way, the math. And so I can use the Xbox gift cards for that, like legitimately for myself, or I can resell them. Um, And then also 
I, you know, I'm using a, I never bought the Bose QC45s until last year. So I use that for my last year's benefit. Now that I have them and my wife has used them, she wants a pair of her own. And so, yeah, it's not full value because we probably wouldn't buy them if we didn't have these credits, but you know, she's going to be happy to get a pair of those, turn on the noise canceling when the kids are loud and she's trying to do work. And so in general, I found a good way to use the Dell credits, but I don't think it's worth four hundred dollars. One fifty is probably too low. Four hundred is too high of a valuation for me. Agreed. And then just the last thing that he gives any value to, which is kind of a shocker, right? There's so many benefits of the Amex Platinum. People call it a coupon book, but he makes a good point about all the other benefits. Is a lot of times they're redundant. A lot of times you have lounge access from a different card. You have status from a different card, and you know some things like the thirty five percent bonus on premium travel, that rebate on the business platinum don't apply, you know, getting one and a half X on $5,000 purchases doesn't apply. So for him, the airline fee credit is the other thing. And he gives it about a 50% value, $200 airline incidental charge worth about $100. I think, you know, a lot of people are using United Travel Bank. I've done that quite a bit. And I have a lot of credit with United. So uh, yeah, I agree here again, not full value. I could argue like people who are in Southwest and they're getting credits, you know, stuff that they would do anyway, they're getting full value, but it's hard when you're evaluating whether this card is worth it to put a full value on any airline fee credit. Yeah. To me with the airline fee credits, I've always subscribed to the theory that even though you're getting reimbursed, you're paying cash for a flight that you could have paid with for points anyway. And so in that sense, that value is $0 to me. But at the same time, I am booking cash flights with JetBlue all the time uh, for my family. So, you know, I do get reimbursed for those. But if, if you think about it, right, like you're still, instead of paying the airline the cash, you're paying American Express the cash. And I've always kind of subscribed to that view of airline benefits. But um, the other thing, you know, we were talking about international travel before. It does come in handy for stuff like, seat assignments on those long haul flights when you want to pay the $30 or more, you know, 30 times five people in my family to make sure we get the seats we want $150, you know, that does feel better to use that. And that might be something that I wouldn't pay and would gamble if I didn't have the credit. So that comes through sometimes. I think last year we used it for actually the uh, award taxes and fees for a United flight that we booked. So that worked out well um, as well, or maybe it was economy plus, I can't remember, but Still not full value. Uh, It could be as low as zero, though, depending on your perspective. So I hear what Benji is saying. And then, like you were saying, he assigns the value of all other benefits at zero dollars. I am still coming off vacations. You're going to have to remind me what some of those benefits that he is ignoring are. You know, I know some of them are Centurion Lounge, which you can get with other Platinum cars and they're just so overcrowded that I don't think of that as a benefit anymore either. Priority Pass has been gutted by American Express. What else are we missing here? The uh, is, is Equinox on this one or the Personal Platinum? And uh, no more WeWork. Yeah, no more WeWork. Uh, yeah, Equinox is on the Personal Platinum. In fact, the Personal Platinum has probably a better overall value, right, with the Uber credits. And in Benji's article where he talks about the value of that card, I think he values it at about double, about 740 compared to 370 Uh, for the business card. There's also like an Adobe credit. There's some other stuff that you missed, but uh, (laughs) I think we covered most of the the big ones and, you know, gold, I think Hilton gold status, things like that. So a lot of stuff people already have from other cards or from other places. So this is why, you know, when you're paying 
in my opinion, when you're paying anything more than $95 for an annual fee, you really have to kind of go in there and look at what you're earning, what reasons you're keeping the card, what what benefits you're getting, all of that stuff. Because things change over time. Your priorities change over time. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there paying for annual fees on cards that they don't need. This is something we've joked about you know, over the years for ourselves that we have done this and been guilty of this. So I, I like articles like this. So I'll put a link in the description that can... People can see all of his reasoning, and hopefully they can audit themselves, figure out, are you paying for an annual fee that you don't need, or are you getting the value that you need? Because, you know, when these were $450 cards, Joe, that was a different story than today, where that price is uh, significantly higher, and, you know, six ninety five, and, you know, you need a, you really need to get some benefit to justify that. For sure. Um, aspiring entrepreneurs out there, or maybe award wallets, you know, on podcasts, they now have these ads that they run regularly for, I think it's, I think it's called rocket money or like rocket money bought whatever the original company was true bill. I think it was called true bill. Yeah, it was true bill. Yep. They give, you give them all your subscriptions, which I don't do. And a lot of people in this space probably aren't willing to do, but some people are going to be willing to do this. Uh, and you give them all your log. I mean, we are award, award wallet already has like the majority of our logins, right? And they, you know, Truebill, for those of you who don't know what it was, or now it's Rocket Money or whatever, they will look through all your subscriptions, your Netflix subscription, your, um, YouTube TV subscription, you know, all, all the subscriptions you have, Instacart, whatever, and they'll tell you what you're not using and recommend ones to cut. We need that for credit card fees. For, for those of us who are willing to give up that level of uh, privacy, I guess, which we are, we're, which we're willing to do for, you know, a word wallet, like I said, has the majority of my logins, um, even though I don't update it too much these days. I bet you someone could make money off of that, Sean. So entrepreneurs out there, go, go, go at it and make life easier for us so we know which of our credit card fees we really should be cutting so we don't have to audit ourselves. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, there are are already apps like Travel Freely, which we talk about that, you know, allow you to kind of put in all your information and will tell you with annual fees coming up and show you the different benefits. I'm sure there's, yeah, let us know, uh, you know, on Twitter or elsewhere if there is a an app. Maybe there is an app that, that does that. But I think, you know, the cool thing about Rocket Money or whatever, I think it automates the cancellation for you, right? So, you know, not only does it find the stuff, but you just click a button and then it cancels it for you. So that would be really nice in the credit card space. Yeah, they talk to the gym for you. Yeah, they yeah. go to the gym and cancel the membership for you so you don't have to go in person. They send someone in person. That's joking. But uh, yeah, I, I, people, I don't I don't know why gyms still, most gyms still make you cancel in person. That's how, you know, they did a Seinfeld episode of that in the 90s. And it's still true today. I saw a Twitter thread about this not too long ago, actually, about Planet Fitness Somebody calling them out for not allowing people to cancel online, uh, stuff like that. And in the in the chat on that tweet, people were saying, yeah, because, you know, ex-boyfriends, girlfriends could cancel your membership. People could get access to your thing. But they could do that with anything. You know, it's just really a scam to force you to go into the gym because they know, you know, that walk of shame going into cancel or whatever stops people. And so the people just leave their subscriptions going. It's a It's a tactic. And we see this with online subscription companies too. There's services that I've used where it's so easy to sign up online, but to cancel, you have to call. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible in 2023. But I guess uh, a lot of people probably don't call and then they keep it going. So we need uh, we need more of these automated tools to help us out. And subscriptions could get so crazy and bloated. 
I'm sure you and I both have a subscription that we, you know, probably need to cancel that we haven't, or it's just not so easy to do. And all the different streaming services, it's uh, it's insane. So yeah, I, I I'm with you. Every time Jess sees the bill for Apple TV, she's like, "Why are you still subscribed for this? We need to cancel this." And I'm like. Jess, Ted Lasso is coming out in two weeks. I need this. And then like three or four months ago, I was like, Mythic Quest is coming out in one week. I need to keep this. So, uh, and we're like, I'm just too late. Like you could, I could do the cancel, subscribe, you know, binge, all that thing. But I, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just like, Jess, there are three or four shows that I watch on Apple TV and Apple TV has scheduled them. So they come out once a season, like nature season. And you're just going to have to deal with looking at that $7 a month charge because that's worth it for me for the $84 for those four shows. So you're just going to have to deal with Ted Lasso, March 15th. Nice. I didn't know that Ted Lasso was coming out March 15th. I know The Mandalorian is March 1st, right? So it's tomorrow. We're recording this on tomorrow. the 20th. You, you watched it already by the time you're listening to this, if you're a true fan. Yes. Yeah. So I'll probably wait a couple. No, I, I'm all into it. You know, I waited to get into Mandalorian, but now I'm all caught up. I did the Book of Boba Fett. I think people who didn't watch, okay, I'm not going to do that. I was going to get all into talking about. Nope, you're right. Book you're Boba, right. Yeah, we're not. If you have, if you only watch The Mandalorian, there are a couple of Book of Boba Fett episodes that you need to watch. Otherwise, you're going to be confused. Although I, I'm really curious to see if they update people, but it was weird. They should have called it The Mandalorian colon Book of Boba Fett, and then people would have watched it and been sure to watch it because there's definitely going to be, you know, a lot of the. Everyone knows I follow TV, movie, entertainment news and stuff like that. And people are all saying that um, that's going to screw things up. All right. This is a good segue. We can uh, talk about my 10 days of Disney trip for a little bit to close things out. Yeah. I mean, 10 days of Disney. I'm sure people are, uh, they've got all their shots lined up, ready for the, for the Disney drinking game. No, they've already thrown their phones out the window or stopped this episode. But yeah, so... I was at Walt Disney World for four days, uh, then drove down to Miami and then picked up the Disney Dream, their cruise ship. And like I said, Sean, it was a celebration. So I actually booked concierge for the cruise um, for a four night cruise on the Dream. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of money. And there's no like travel agent rates or anything. It was, it was all pure, uh, you know, pure waste by Joe Chung. But um, Disney World. For those of you who know, like Genie Plus is the thing that you pay for what used to be called Fast Pass to cut the lines. Sean, I'm sure you saw this, but Sunday and Monday of President's Weekend, it actually sold out for the first time at Disney World both days. I didn't see this. I haven't been. I've been a bad Disney fan, and I haven't been paying attention to Disney Twitter. So that's crazy. What was it like? Twenty five bucks a day. What was the cost those days? It was twenty nine. So it maxed out as much as like. That's the most expensive it has ever been, and that's how much it was like Christmas, New Year's. But in Christmas and New Year's, it did not sell out. But this time over President's Week, it sold out. And the only, actually, the only two days out of our, we were in the parks four days. The only two days out of the four day trip that I bought it was on the max out days at twenty nine dollars. And so I used it for Hollywood Studios. And I gotta say, Sean, like I have not. I think it's like the most crowded I have ever been at the parks. Like since maybe I can't even remember pre-pandemic times where it was that busy, but it was it was crazy, dude. It was like, you know, it felt like Christmas level crowds and it, it did prove to be like quite a brutal experience at times. Um, you know, a, a Diamond member, uh, Matthew, 
was there the same week and I was chatting with him after his trip and he's like brutal is the brutal is the right adjective for this. So if you can avoid just a take home tip for those of you who are going to reluctantly bring your family at some point if you're not a Disney fan, if you can avoid these holiday weeks because you were there 2 weeks before and it wasn't too bad like it was manageable but oh my gosh the crowds it was just it was like 45 minutes for Dumbo yeah i mean we're disney fans i just avoid the parks at all costs when it comes to like the peak seasons i've never been over christmas holiday obviously i've been for the christmas season you just go earlier in december now not everybody has that flexibility but I highly caution people, especially in the current travel environment, current Disney environment, to stay away when things are so uh, busy. And then there's points like, you know, to your point, I was there two weeks before you. It wasn't that bad. But also there was a lot of strategy within that, which parks I chose, which days. And you actually helped me out with that because Magic Kingdom was closing early one day. That turned out to be the day to go there. And because of that, and things going on at the different parks in Disney World, like some parks can be really busy on certain days while other parks aren't. So I feel like it's uh, there's a lot to go into it. But the best planning advice anybody could give is avoid holiday weeks because there's nothing worse than like crowds everywhere, two hour lines for everything. You just it's hard to have a good time. Yeah. Now, speaking of going on the right days, I will say that um, we were staying at the Beach Club, which is a deluxe property. And that worked out well because that gave us extended evening hours, which only deluxe property guests, you know, plus Swan and Dolphin, which is important for Miles and Points fans because you can book the Swan and Dolphin and Swan Reserve with points and not pay cash for it. You know, they have the extended evening hours two hours after the parks close. We did it on Monday, President's Day at Epcot from 9 to 11. Um, And my daughter and I, we single rider test track twice and could have gone like all night. And it was walk on for single rider. Um, even with, you know, Monday was the day that genie plus sold out. Even with that, that was no problem at all. And, uh, the frozen ride had like no line at extended hours. Uh, Remy's, which is like the newest or second newest ride at Epcot that had a decent line, but you know, it was doable at Epcot, but magic kingdom, Sean, the one nice thing, if you can keep, and this is like the benefit of having a 10 year old and a seven year old. Now, if you can keep your kids out late, what happens during these super busy times is they actually extend the normal hours for Magic Kingdom. They, they extended it till 11 p.m. And then extended evening hours was 11 to 1. Well, if you ever see Magic Kingdom open till 11 p.m., even in the busiest time of 2023 so far, we had some stuff going on. And when that worked out, it was about 9.20 p.m. And I looked at my phone and the Disney app will tell you when the next bus is coming. And I was like, and my five-year-old was like freaking out about something. And I was like, hey, 10-year-old, 7-year-old, the bus is coming in five minutes. Should we go to Magic Kingdom for the rest of the night? This is at 9.20 p.m., like 20 minutes past my kid's normal bedtime. And I asked Jess, and I was like, what do you think? And this was our last night in Disney World. And she's like, just go, right? I'll, I'll handle the 5-year-old. And so we went, and from 9.25, and we got back to our room at 12.30. So it was about three hours door-to-door. We got nine attractions done at just at a chill pace. Like we were not rushing at all. We were like enjoying it. And so my advice is if the magic kingdoms open till 11 PM, even when we got there at nine 35, a lot of the attractions were already a walk on like Dumbo was a walk on little mermaid, like all the little attractions were a walk on. And then when extended evening hours started, like we got on space mountain in 10 minutes, the kids did big thunder, pretty much a walk on that was at 12 15. If we had done, if they had done that earlier, they could have gone on twice in a row. I, by the way, Sean, I'm like old. I, 
I've officially graduated to the sit. I went on Space Mountain with them, but I'm like, I'm not going on Big Thunder with you. Okay, I, Space Mountain was enough. I'm, I'm sitting on the side waiting for them with other other old parents. Yes, Space Mountain is is rougher than Thunder Mountain, so I would. I think no, I know, but they didn't want to go on. Yeah, I know they hadn't been on Space Mountain yet in the dark, like they've been for like the Christmas strobe light thing, and so. Um, so if you can keep your kids out late, I mean, it makes a huge difference, especially at magic kingdom seven dwarfs was, it looked like it was only 15, 20 minutes. So, you know, in those three hours, um, we really got our money's worth, um, for extended evening, but I did want to talk about the cruise really quickly, um, before we go, um, you know, I had never cruised concierge level before I will say that the, and it was about, we would have booked two cabins if, um, we had not sailed concierge i actually sprung for like a suite and so we ended up paying like 30 percent more than we would have paid for two cabins <laughs> the best part of being concierge sean which is so dumb oh it's not it's not that dumb but like the best part was getting on the ship and getting off the ship it was like no stress did not have to wait in a single line that made a huge difference uh, especially coming off the crazy time that we had at walt disney world yeah, getting on a ship is my least favorite part of anything. Like the whole embarkation. We've done so many cruises the last year that I have started to just get there later. You know, you everybody wants to get on the ship early and wants to, you know, explore everything. I'm starting to get to the ship now at 2 or 3 in the afternoon just so I can put my stuff in my room. And everybody is kind of spread out a little bit more by then because everybody's in the buffet or wherever. Uh, but we did that, that cruise in – the Royal Caribbean cruise in Europe – Last year, and I had a suite, and the line to check in was like an hour and a half. Walked right past all those people. Same kind of thing. It was great. It was we were on the ship in five minutes. We had our private lounge to go to. Everything else, so I can imagine on Disney, it's even nicer. Yeah, and then walking off, it was it was the same thing. And we had a flight to catch in Fort Lauderdale. I could have, I booked the eleven thirty flight. I could have booked the ten thirty, and um, we would have been fine. But sailing concierge was great. I mean. You know, Sean, you know that Disney has long prided itself on its cast members and their exceptional service, which I think is still there at the parks. I think people give people, the cast members in the parks, a hard time for that. But on Disney Cruise Line and then especially concierge level, um, it was definitely more top notch. And I will say, like, in terms of the interactions, I don't think this is not concierge specific, but my kids. All three of my kids had very special interactions with characters on the ship. You know, one thing that's nice about Disney Cruise Line is the characters, they have places to go, but they also kind of wander around um, a little bit more like Disneyland. And Belle was standing on like a balcony and like waving at guests below. And so she walked away to leave. And we we had like stood behind her to like take a picture. And this was with my princess obsessed five-year-old. And so she was walking away and I was like, oh, uh, sorry, you know, I think Belle's not taking pictures, so we'll just get a picture with her later because we could have lined up with her later. I guess she heard what I said because she was like, oh, would you like to take a picture? And then she took my daughter by the hand, took her back to the balcony, and, like, held court with my daughter um, just waving down at the people down there and then took a picture. That was awesome. And then the other thing that happened, and I wasn't even there, so I don't even – I haven't even gotten, like, the full story. But apparently – so there's this – there's this game you can play. It's kind of like a scavenger hunt called Midship Detective Agency on the newer Disney ships where there are like moving paintings and you go from painting to painting and you get clues. It's like it's kind of like a Bluetooth type game that you play with a RFID card or whatever. It's not RFID, but whatever it is. Anyway, my kids are playing that. They love that. Like they're trying to solve the case about like who stole some Muppets paraphernalia or band equipment or something like that. Anyway, 
my kids are 10 and 7, like I said, so I let them do midship by themselves without us, which is like a step of independence that we had never done with them on the ship before. They come back to the room, Sean, and they're like, yeah, so Ariel was like, I guess she was done with uh, her photo or something, and she just asked us if she could like do midship detective with us, and she came to like do paintings with us and just like <laughs> was helping us solve the case. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, what? I was like, what did she say to you? And they're like, I don't know. She was like, uh, can I can I tag along or something? And I was like, I don't think Errol said, can I tag along? So I have no idea how that interaction happened. But apparently they wandered around Air- with Ariel for like a couple minutes. And I was like, was anyone else around? And they're like, yeah, a couple people stopped Ariel to take pictures. but uh, And then eventually she said that she had to go somewhere. And I was like, I was like, I was just like, I was just like, don't tell your sister. Because she would be so jealous, but stuff like that, random stuff like that happens on a ship um, all the time uh, on a Disney ship, and so that was that was pretty spectacular, and it was just a very relaxing time. So I know you still have that Delta Vacations credit, and I don't think you have to sail concierge to have that kind of experience on a Disney ship. The service is just top notch. Um, our friends came with us; they were not concierge; they had a great time as well. It was their first Disney cruise, so highly recommend. And you still got that Delta Vacation stuff that you got to use, I think, right, Sean? Yeah, I did want to ask about concierge. I, if I do it, I, I, when I do it, I'm not going to do concierge, obviously. Uh, but what do you get? So obviously you're in a suite, so that's a nicer room, and that's a concierge suite. But are, is there a lounge? What other amenities other than priority boarding and stuff do you get with Disney concierge? So it's priority boarding. Uh, there's the lounge, which serves continental breakfast, drinks after 5 p.m. Um, we don't drink a ton, so like we didn't, we definitely did not drink that 30% in value. There's a exclusive sun deck that you can use, which is actually nicer on the older ships. The one that is on the newer ships, at least the dream and fantasy. I haven't even looked on the wish. You can't really see the water. It's like covered in. It's a really nice space. But when, if I'm going to lounge outside, I want to lounge and be able to see the ocean. You get priority. Like they'll help you book all your excursions. And that is like a huge help because on Disney's private Island, the cabanas go very quickly. So if you want to get a cabana, uh, which we did, by the way, it was very relaxing. Um, that's like the way to get priority. We, we actually booked like a ton of stuff. You just email the concierge team and then they'll just book everything for you. And then I canceled like a ton, um, when I got on there and free popcorn for the shows, priority seating for the shows. They take you down in this elevator down to the theater before they open the doors to everyone else. And you can pick up, pick out where you want to sit. So it's just stuff like that. And then just very good service overall. I do think like, I think that concierge key cards are gold. So I do think people get, I think if cast members notice that they'll also like treat you extra nice but like i said i've had amazing service um and i haven't sailed concierge before this time so um it doesn't make a i I don't think it makes a huge difference in terms of the service that cast members give so um those are the main things so like i would say you know i was telling a friend this i think dollar for dollar booking a cabana on castaway key is probably the most value it's six hundred dollars for the first six people which is a ton of money um and can go up to uh, math, $800. Uh, if you have 10 people in it, that's a ton of money. But in terms of like your experience on castaway key, uh, like the main beach is like, so super crowded, um, having like your own kind of like little oasis, I think dollar for dollar, that is worth not, I mean, for $800, it's the most value for concierge, like paying an extra 30% 
Um, and it would, it's, it's 50% if we had only crammed into one room, I don't think it's worth it except for I, I am getting at the point in my life, Sean, where I'm just trying to like enjoy life more and that leads to like splurging more. Um, and so, you know, I, I think for the splurge, it was definitely worth it. But like, if you ever, if you're going to sit down with a spreadsheet and calculate like how much value you're getting out of it, uh, it's never going to add up. It's not even going to come close. We're going to call you bougie Joe with uh, cabanas and concierge class and, and everything else. <laughs> I, I joined Miles to Memory, started talking to Bethany Washmore, and then all of a sudden, here I am. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, we did that. Like I said, we did the concierge on the Royal Caribbean ship last summer. And all cruise lines seem to have a version of this, or most of them do. Uh, for instance, Norwegian has the Haven, MSC has the Yacht Club, and Royal Caribbean has Suites class. And, you know, you get a version of having a concierge, private lounge with drinks, priority show, priority boarding, things like that. And to your, you're right. It could be nice to splurge. I only had to pay $400 to upgrade to that. And that was certainly worth it, getting a suite plus all of that for 400 bucks. But normally it's going to be thousands of dollars and you just have to decide if it's uh, worth it for you. But sometimes, you know, it's nice to, like you say, be pampered to splurge. So glad to hear it. I think that anything like that, and I've heard similar things about Disney's hotels with the concierge level. In fact, I think you even said it. Is it worth it? No. But is it nice to have? Yeah. I guess in this hobby, I have enough access to club lounges in hotels when I'm staying that I'm not going to go out of my way to pay for Disney's concierge on their hotels so I can get access to their club lounge. But I can see why people would want to do that and the same thing on the ship. So uh, it's always nice to hear about it, even if... The prices are a little staggering. Yeah, I got to go. But um, two things. I think you, if you do what you did, Sean, and you can do this on Disney, ask at the check-in whether you can upgrade. It's going to be cheaper. So you, it's not going to be 30%, 50% more at that point um, generally. And if the price doesn't fit, then you can turn it down. Um, and the other thing is I've heard great things about celebrities, concierge-level rooms, and I price them out. And the price jump is not as drastic with celebrity as it is um, with Disney. And in fact, you can get like for a little bit more than a regular Disney room, um, you can sometimes get celebrity concierge. So um, definitely need to do that. But I, I got to go pick up my kids. So at As Joe Flies, all of our social media, Joseph Chung at Travelmation.net. If you are looking to book a trip um, and Sean, you can close us out. And you can find me at Miles to Memories all over social media, milestomemories.com for all our posts. And we still do our Vegas stuff on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Miles to Memories for Vegas news and information. But basically, at Miles to Memories all over social media, Miles to Memories.com for this podcast and everything else. Support the show. You can apply for links. There's everything on the site for you to do that. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening. Really hope you enjoy the show. And we'll talk to you next time.